All right, we are we are kind of coming to the conclusion of our on our messages on uh, knowing the will of God, and I'm real excited about these last two messages that we're going to be looking at uh, this week and next week, and then we're going to be starting a new series on October 28th that I'm. I'm, I'm really just stoked about, about speaking to you about. It's finding your true identity. And I believe that for Americans, we are in a true identity crisis and knowing who we are. I, 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 just to give you a little promo of the message, um, I found this t- statistic that said that Americans spend per year $11 billion on self-help material. You cannot turn on the TV in an infomercial something about self-help making you a better person. And we are addicts about ourselves. Americans are in love with themselves. And it can get to the point of idol worship, can it? And so we're going to look at where do we find our true identity in Christ, and we've got a two-month series starting in a couple weeks. Be praying for that. I'm real excited about that. Now all you're going to say, man, I ain't coming to those weeks. I'm going to skip the next two months. No, it's going to be good. You will enjoy it. Um, as we've been looking at the last couple uh, months over the weeks, we've been looking at God's will for, for your life, and we've been a- answering the question, what is God's will, and, and what is God's will for uh, for my life and in different areas of my life is it is it really so much about a certain place uh, do I know God's will by a certain tingling in my big toes should there be certain signs is there this perfect will that I must find where there's God's perfect will and then there's God's permissive will and as we discussed over the weeks it's not some dot that you have to be on or, or something so small that it's impossible to stay on, but it's more about a green pasture that God allows latitude under obedience to His Word. So the the question we need to ask ourselves is, what am I doing to please God? And how how am I doing this? And how am I seeking His mind? And am I obedient to God? And do I love the things that God loves? Now, now, Now let me just say this. That doesn't mean that God can't burden your heart for things. God can't burden your heart for people. And I know there's some days that you just feel like a certain burden to pray for somebody or to speak to somebody. God speaks to us every single day. Amen? And He speaks to us through His Word and He speaks to us through His Holy Spirit. It's being in tune with Him. It's being obedient to the Lord. And, and what I want to look at, so many times we... We, we tend to just look at all these different little specific situations that, okay, God, what's your will for you? You know, where should I live? What kind of car should I live? But really, I think the bigger picture I want you to see over these weeks that we've been talking about God's will, God is most concerned with the person that you are, not necessarily where you live. Or what kind of job you have. Those things I'm not saying are not important. But what's most important is the type of person you are. And are you walking in holiness? God does have a will for your life. It may not necessarily think what you think it is. Because we have to be obedient to the Lord. But I believe God is so concerned with how you live your life in every situation. Am I obedient to the Lord? Am I walking in holiness? 
He is concerned with your dedication to Him. And so one of the questions that I want to address over these series is what is God's will for your finances? And, and I know this is a, a, right now you're holding on to your purses. Ethel, hold on to your purse. Pastor's talking about money. Hold on to your wallet. Look out. Here it comes. Listen, if you guys have been here long enough, you know that I rarely ever talk about this issue. But guess what? It's one issue that Jesus talked a lot about for this reason. If, if, if we don't get a grip on our finances, if we don't get a good understanding of money, it will control you. Everybody should have shed, should have shed a- amen at that point, okay? It will, and you know it. We all struggle. Either we, we, we don't know what to do with it, we don't know how to budget it, and Jesus talked about this. You can't serve two masters, both money and God. You're going to love one and you're going to hate the, the other. And so what I want to do today, I, I'm not going to give, you know, some of you are like, okay, pastor, give me some wonderful tips on budgeting because everybody has budget problems and I never have enough money for this or that. And, and how, do, how do I budget? Here, let me just, we're not going to talk about that today, okay? I'm going to talk about something totally different that, that I think will help you in your budgeting process because if we don't start here, I can give you all the budgeting tips in the world and it's not going to make a whole lot of difference. But here's one budgeting tip I can give you this morning. Are you ready? Write this down. Stop spending money you don't have. Okay, that's it, okay? There's your budgeting tip 101. There you go. Stop spending money you don't have to buy things you don't need to impress people you don't even like. Okay, there's your, there's your budgeting tip, okay? But what I want to look at today is I want to look at your heart because I believe the bottom line, the, the foundation of everything starts with our heart. If God doesn't have your heart, it doesn't matter what you do with your money. Because what you're going to do is you could, you could be the best budgeter in the world and have your checkbook balanced to the penny and you can have spreadsheets and you can have all these things and know where every single penny is spent. But guess what? If God doesn't have control of your heart, it doesn't matter. Because either you will control your money and you say, oh, I do such a good job, or your money will control you and I have no idea where my money is going. The bottom line is it's a hard thing. The foundation has to start with your heart, not some quick tips on how to budget. We have classes for that that you can sign up for and take, which I think are great and, and, and wonderful for those of you that desire to do that. But here is one of the most difficult things you will ever have to deal with in your life, and that's your finances, that's your money. What is God's will for your finances? And I believe God does have a will here, and we've got to start with the heart. So I believe if we start here with that foundation of our heart, from the heart will flow good things if God's in control of it. So, so God will have control of your money and everything else in your life, but we've got to start with the heart. But what I want to do here is just get over a couple myths about money that we are taught in our society. And, and these are myths, and we need to debunk them, and we need to cast them aside because these are the things that we can easily struggle with in our lives if we are not careful. Myth number one, money will make us happy. Right? Isn't that, aren't we told that? If you got money, you will be happy. We tend to think that life would be easier if I had more. 
Come on, some of you are just thinking right now, Pastor, you have no idea what you're talking about because I just had a little more money. I would be happier. Pastor, what are you talking about? It just would be nice to be able to do this and pay this off and blah, 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 blah. But here's the problem. Once again, heart, 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 heart. The real problem, listen, 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 listen. The real problem is this. It's not your lack of money. That's not the real problem. The real problem is your attitude towards it. Amen? The real problem is your attitude. It's not the lack of money. Remember the parable Jesus told about the manager that gave some talents to three people? Some had little and some had more. And they were to wisely invest it. And one didn't do anything with what he had, just buried it. And the manager came back and said, well, you could at least put it in the bank and got interest. The others invested and doubled their money. It really wasn't about the money or the amount that was given. It was about what they did with what they had. And so many times we live in this thought, if I just had a little more. And I always remember reading this time, I think it was in Time Magazine article many, many years ago that they surveyed people about what would it take to make you happy? What income would help you to make you happy? And it was always like if I made 50,000, it'd be 70. If I made 70, it'd be 90. If I made 90, it'd be 120. It was always just a little bit more. If I just had a little bit more, but how many of you know you get a little bit more and you'll spend what you have? It's not what you have, it's not the amount. It's what you're doing with what you've been given. It's the attitude. And Jesus made it very clear. You cannot serve both, God and money. You, one will win over the other. Myth number two, big myth. I will become more generous when I have more money. Pastor, when that lotto ticket comes in, right? When I win the lottery, I'm going to give, you know, a lot of it to the church and I'm going to do all this stuff. And meanwhile, you waste all your money on lotto tickets because you're never going to win. And meanwhile, you're spending all your money gambling and wishing and hoping that this is going to come through and it never does. And we say, well, I'll become more generous when I have more money. The problem is when our income increases, so does our standard of living. So it's not about how much I have, it's about what, what am I doing with what I have. So if I have trouble giving now, it most likely will not change when I have more. So just debunk these two myths right off the bat, okay? So what is God's plan for my finances? Well, I believe God gives us the answer in His Word, and this all boils down to the heart we have to look at our heart look at i've I've got a great passage here in second corinthians 9 7 paul dealing with the heart and about giving and the motivation for giving listen to what paul says and then we're gonna we're gonna squeeze the message with this verse and then i'm gonna use this verse at the end to wrap everything up together look at what paul says he says each one must give what he has decided in his heart okay and his heart not reluctantly under compulsion right for god underline that loves what a cheerful giver notice the two things there heart not under compulsion heart not under compulsion god loves someone that cheerfully gives what in the world 
does this mean? God loves a cheerful giver. The word there actually in the Greek means hilarious. God loves a hilarious drunk giver. No, I'm just teasing. He just be drunk. That is okay. Be drunk on giving, not drunk on wine, but be drunk on giving. Hilarious. Just cheerfully giving. It's a, it's a willingness out of a grateful heart, not under compulsion or guilt, because someone's telling me I have to give. God says, if you don't give, you're going to hell. That, that's not what Paul is saying there. He says, God loves someone that cheerfully gives, hilariously. And this is all encompassed in giving your finances, your money. That, this is what Paul is talking about in this chapter. It, 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 this is what God loves. It's his will. So, so how do we become generous? How do we break the money hold on our life? Once again, the myth isn't if I could have more. The myth is, is, is I'll be more generous when I have more. We've got to debunk that right away. The, the question is, does, does God have my heart? Am I willing to to be joyful in these things. So in order to become generous, we need to understand our motivation for giving in the first place. Let's, once again, the foundation is the heart. So let's check our motivation because you can give, but give with the wrong motivation, right? Some give because they feel guilty. They give out of guilt because they feel like, well, I should give because that's what I'm supposed to do. And so I give out of guilt or someone else makes me feel guilty to give. Or I give because it it makes me feel better. So if I give out of guilt, then hopefully it's going to make me feel better. Some give because it makes them look good, right? Get your name on the side of a building or whatever. It's, you know, it makes me look good, right? Some give because it, 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 it fulfills their obligation to give. They give because they feel it's, hey, it's my obligation to give. And so we've got to check our motives of, of why I'm giving. The, the word is clear that when we give, we should give with the right motivation. So in the word of God, we have a wonderful example of a group of people that were generous and gave with the right motivation. They had a clear understanding of why they should be generous. Their hearts were in the right place. And this is where we need to be. God constantly do something in my heart. I constantly give you my finances. These are yours to begin with. It's not mine. It is yours. And how am I doing with my giving? So I want to read this passage to you. A group of just crazy, outlandish, hilarious, drunk on giving Christians right here. They were out of control in their giving. And Paul uses this group of Christians to show how to give in the right motive. And he uses this example to show this other church that they're doing it correctly. So let's read it. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 9. And listen to what the Apostle Paul says here. He says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, love that, as can be testified, 
and even beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints, helping out another group that needed help. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves, here's the key, here is the key, and this is what we're going to dissect. They gave themselves first to the Lord. Underline that. This is, was the right motivation. They first gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. There's the two things. First to the Lord, then by the will of God. They pleased God in what they were doing. Accordingly, we urge Titus that he has started so he should complete among you this act of grace, telling this other church, you, need, you started giving, you need to complete it now, okay? But as you excel in everything, in faith and in speech and knowledge and all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you also excel, not just be mediocre, but excel in this act of grace, this act of giving. I say this not as a command, not to make you feel guilty, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Whoa. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich through his wonderful grace. There's a lot going on in these verses. So what's going on here? Well, what Paul is, let me give you the background here. What Paul is addressing is there's a Christians in Jerusalem who were suffering and needed help. So they, they, they went to the other churches and said, could you respond to this need to this church in Jerusalem as they were over in Greece? So Paul was asking other churches for help. The churches in Greece were, were doing well, specifically in the Corinthian churches. The Macedonian churches weren't. They were, they were under severe persecution and, and they didn't have much to give. But Paul wasn't even asking them to give because he knew that they didn't have anything to give really. And so he says to the Corinthians, listen, you started to give, but you didn't finish. So Paul urges them to complete the giving. And then he uses the churches in Macedonia as an example of a group of believers who were in severe poverty themselves, yet begged Paul to give because they heard of the need and they said, listen, why didn't you ask us? We need to give. And Paul said, we didn't want to burden you because we should be taking an offering for you. They're like, no, we want to give. And out of their extreme poverty, Paul says, they gave. How could this group of believers in their extreme condition, because they would have been the ones raising their hands saying, me, 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 look at us. Wait a minute, you're, you're giving to the church in Jerusalem. Why aren't you giving us? Don't you know what our need is? How come no one's paying attention to us? And Paul said there was something unique about this group. There was something different about this churches in Macedonia. What made them so different? You see, what Paul sees here is the church in Macedonia had it right. What can we learn from them? And let me give you a couple things here of what we can learn from this church in Macedonia and why they were so radically different from anything else you can think of. Why were their hearts so different? Why weren't they selfish? Why weren't they looking out for their own needs? Why were they so concerned with giving to something else beyond even their own needs and giving beyond their own needs? Well, let me give you a couple things here. First, it's because they gave out of joy. 
See, they viewed their giving as a privilege. Amen, Pastor Barton. Thank you, no one. Listen, they viewed their giving as a privilege. It was a privilege for them to give. Now, I'm going to make a hard statement here. We cannot call ourselves followers of Christ and not give. I, I'm sorry. I, I know you're not, maybe some of you aren't going to like that, but we cannot call ourselves a follower of Christ and not give of ourselves or give of our finances. You see, that would be an oxymoron. So I don't want to be a moron. I want to be, and I don't, no, I mean oxymoron, okay? <laughs> Listen. See, an oxymoron basically are two words or phrases that are put together with opposite meanings. So we can't call ourselves Christians and not give of ourselves. An ungenerous Christian, a Christian that is not willing to give, would be a moron, I mean an oxymoron. So let's, let, let's look at what, let me give you a couple examples of what an oxymoron is. It's when you say something like, same difference. That would be an oxymoron. Something like, taped live. Oxymoron. Pretty ugly. Be an oxymoron. Peace force. Oxymoron. Plastic glasses. Be an oxymoron. Headbutt. Let that sink in for a moment, okay? <laughs> Tax return. Oxymoron. <laughs> what, what does that mean? Feel like, ooh, yay, I'm getting back my tax return. Yeah, it's because you're already gay. It just doesn't make any sense. Okay. Last one, I love this one. Jumbo shrimp. Oxymoron. Okay, listen. Gotta get some jumbo shrimp. Okay, listen. There's another word that seems close to the word oxymoron, but it is different. It's the word paradox. A paradox means, may seem opposite to common sense, yet it is truth. So a paradox is a statement that, that seemingly is absurd and self-contradictory to itself, but really founded in truth. And the Christian life, if you look at it and what Jesus taught, is full of paradoxes. Let me give you a couple of examples here. Jesus taught that if we are going to live, we must die. If we're going to be first, we need to be last. If, if, if those who are going to be the greatest among you are going to be the ones that are going to serve. In order to be lifted up, we must humble ourselves. That's a paradox. It seems different, but really it's true. You see, the believers in Macedonia were examples of a paradox. Paul says this about them. Out of their most severe trials themselves rose an overflowing joy and rich generosity. Out of extreme poverty rose rich generosity. That's a paradox. And we need to be a bunch of paradoxes running around here if we're going to follow God's truth. I love what Kirk Norrie says here. He says, true generosity is not measured by the size of the gift, but by the spirit of the giver. And the Macedonians had a joyous spirit which transcended their severe circumstances. It's like going to somebody when you go through a severe trial and you're a believer of God and you're following God. And someone goes to you and they're like, how are you making it? Because you're faced with this severe trial and you say, you know what? Only by the hand of God, only by God's grace can I make this. And people are looking at you like, wow, how can you do that? It's a paradox. Even in our most 
severe, difficult times, we can say, but you know what? God is good. God is faithful. God is sovereign. And he's not left me and he will not forsake me and his love will not be separated from me and I can stand firm in his word knowing that God is true. That's a paradox, isn't it? Because you think your, your situation would dictate who you are as a person. And that's the problem in our world today. We allow our money to dictate what we do and who we are and the status that we are. And, 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 and we show it off and we say, look at me, look how I'm... And, and, and basically, we, that's how we measure success and worth and everything else is, is, is through money. And Jesus is just the opposite. It's not measured by the size of the gift, but the spirit of the giver. So you think about it for a moment. This group of Christians should have been de depressed asking, what about us? Instead, with joy, they gave a paradox. They were poor, yet they were rich, Paul says. They were humbled by their circumstances, yet God lifted them up by his grace. You see, God is not impressed with the amount we give as much he is impressed with the attitude in which we give. Capiche? Getting that? Okay, see the heart? There's got to be a heart. There's got to be an attitude. So they gave out of joy. What's the second thing that Paul noticed about this group of believers? Is they gave, get this, this is so good because this is where I want to get in my life. I just want to keep giving this way and God help me with this and keep my mind straight about this. Listen, they gave out of grace. I love this. Paul noticed this. Paul emphasized that they gave out of grace. In fact, he called it this, grace giving. That's what he called it. He called it grace giving. They had no means to give, but they completely gave out of grace. And, and I want to set this up, and I want to unpack this for you, what this means. But let me give you a statistic uh, statistics show us that the average Christian gives 1% to 3% of their income to the church. 1% to 3%. Now, for those saying, is that good or bad? That's not good. It's not good. You see, we need to take a serious look at our giving on, on, on whether, we, whether we like it or not. You can argue with me all day long, but our giving is a reflection of our heart and where we stand with the Lord. It is a reflection of that. You know, we talk about, hey, we're going to bring the tithe into the storehouse. And many of you brought up, you understand what the tithe is. And we, we talk about the tithe. Uh, many of you in your churches, you understand that it's an Old Testament principle which God requires the first 10% of Israel's financial increase. Let me just say this about that, where I stand on that whole issue. I see the principle of tithing as training wheels, as Randy Alcorn states. We are never required, but we are to give. And I see this Old Testament principle that can be applied in this way as we give out of grace. Because if I were to tell you every single one of you have to give this amount, it becomes legalistic, couldn't it? Very easily could become, if I told you, well, you got to give 5%, you got to give 10%, you got to give 15%. If I got that, then all of a sudden it stops being a heart thing and it becomes this guilt thing, right? Okay, here, okay, here's my paycheck. Okay, pastor, am I supposed to give after taxes or before taxes? Give out of my gross? Give out after tax? What am I supposed to do? 
Okay, now I'm calculating 10%. Okay, I, I made a dollar this week. Okay, 10 cents. I want to make sure. You know, I could do that. And then you just, you're, is it an act of grace that you're giving? Is it cheerful giving? Is it hilarious giving? No, what it becomes is a mundane act that can get very, very, very legalistic. So let me give you the principle here that I believe is important about the tithe. First of all, the reason why God gave that to Israel is that they would give their first and their best to God. He said, I never want you to forget that I am the one that brings the increase to your life. So when they would sit there before the Lord and they would worship the Lord, God says, I want your first and I want your best because I never want you to forget that I am the Lord your God that brought you out of Egypt. I'm the one that brought you out of bondage. So when you go into the land of milk and honey, into that promised land, and I, and I produce grapes and fruit and all this stuff and allow you to farm and to raise cattle, I want you to recognize that I'm the one that provides. And their whole worship system revolved around the sacrifice. God, we're giving you the best of what we have. Don't give me a lamb that's limping. Don't give me one that's blemished. Don't look at your herd and say, okay, God, I'm going to bring the sacrifice into the temple. Okay, let me find the oldest lamb that's just basically holding on by a thread. I'm going to give them, because I can't use that one anyways. Can't eat it. It's just bad. It's diseased. It's got pus coming out of its eyes. It's just nasty. Okay, so Lord, I'm going to bring this. No, the Lord said, bring me your best without any blemishes, because it recognized that I'm the one that brings the increase. So just ask yourself, God, am I bringing you my best or am I bringing you my sloppy seconds? You need to ask yourself that. God, what am I? And God says, not only do I want you to bring your best, the first of your increase of your income, but he says, I want you to worship me on the first day of the week. I want you to take that Sabbath rest. You don't work. You don't do anything. This is a gift I'm going to give to you so that you can recognize that I am the God that provides for you. A great illustration of this is when they were wandering in the wilderness and God provided manna from heaven. Remember that? They're in the wilderness. There's no food. It's desert. There's nothing for them to eat. So they're out there and they're like, okay, one to three million people out in the desert. How are we going to eat? Lord, what's going on here? And God provided this miracle manna, whatever it was. In fact, that's what it's called. What is it? And God provided for them every day. But God gave them specific instructions. Do not hoard it for the next day, for if you do, maggots will be all over it. He goes, the only day that you can take it and and save it for the next day is during the Sabbath day where I'm going to give you rest. God provided each and every day for them so they could recognize that God was their provider, that I'm going to provide for you each and every day. I'm going to bring water out of a rock. I'm going to bring quail in for you. I'm going to provide for you, but you've got to trust me. When you begin to hoard it and say, this is ours, God says, no, you're not recognizing me now. I'm the one that's provided for you. Ultimately, God is your provider. Ultimately, God owns everything. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, amen? He owns it all. He gives you the increase. So what am I doing? Am I giving God the best? So it's not some calculated thing, but it's recognizing that, God, I must give to you first. When I wake up in the morning, I give you my life. God, this is your day. This is the day that you have made. I'm going to rejoice and just live in your world, God. 
So whatever you bring for me this day, I'm in your world, God. I want to obey you. This is the day you've made. I'm going to rejoice in God. Whatever it brings, God, I'm in your world now. This ain't my world. This is your world. Allow me to live in obedience to you. God, the first day of the week, I'm going to go to church because I think that's important because I'm going to recognize you. I want to get with other body of believers that, that, that can worship you and recognize who you are. That's why I love coming to church and worshiping together and glorifying God and saying, God, this is the first of the week. We're just going to worship you. We're going to love you. We're going to honor you. We're going to serve you. God, this is my income. I want to give you the first and the best, my income. Because I'm going to recognize that, that you're the giver of everything. And I love you. And I thank you for everything you've done for me. I thank you for the roof over my head. I thank you for the vehicle that I can drive. I thank you for the clothes that I'm wearing that, that keep me warm. Thank you, Lord, for all those things. Heart, heart, heart. The minute you start saying, this is mine, this is what I've done. Watch out. God's given everything to you. Even the, the person, the atheist that doesn't believe in God, who thinks it's all about him, God's the one that gave you the brain to think. God gives you the air to breathe. It's all God. The Macedonian church got this. Paul says out of their poverty they gave they didn't think of themselves first they just gave it was their first instinct they gave out of god's grace it was their first reaction in fact paul didn't even ask them to give but they gave anyways can you imagine if we gave that way as paul taught set aside what you are to give pray about it and make it your act of worship you see their 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 act of grace giving was out of response of this. It was out of response for what Christ did for them. That's grace giving. God, it's a, listen, oh, I just want you guys to get this. And let me, don't walk away thinking, man, pastor's really hammering us today on the giving side of it. Listen, I'm hammering myself today. But I want you to get this because you guys are good givers. When it comes to missions, when it comes specifically to giving to some need, you guys rock the house. You do a great job when it comes to specific. If I give a need to you, boom, you guys give. It's great. But I think it's that weekly giving into the storehouse every week. That's where it can get real muddy for some people. And God says, you give your first and your best and you bring your increase into the storehouse. That when you give, you just say, God, I'm giving it to you. And you use it the way you need to use it best, God. That God would be ministered, that God would be glorified in this place and needs would be met, that the word of God would go forth. I know sometimes that's not real glorious, but it's that faithful giving. Paul said, set aside in your heart what you are to give each week. And some of you may say, man, I, I do the 10% thing and it's been liberating and it's been great. And some of you may say, I'm going to start giving more because that liberated me so much more. I'm going to start doing more. God is so good. God, I want to give to you because of what you've done for me. 
this was such a hard part of my life when I first was saved because it was, I'm just so cheap. I just am. I am so cheap. Man, I don't take long showers. I make sure all the lights are off. If one of the kids leave the lights on, I'm screaming, why are you leaving the lights on, man? It costs money to run these lights. Come on. You walk upstairs, turn the lights off. Why do you leave the refrigerator open? What do you think this is, Wegmans? Come on. And this is the part where God just had to break me off. And it's still breaking me off. Are you giving out of grace for what I've done for you? So when I give to the Lord and give into the stores, I just say, God, this is your money. Use it for your glory and your purposes. And, and so many times we, 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 we give this way. We give because we think, oh, okay, we've got to help the church out to pay for the lights and the chairs and everything. You know, good things cost money. And so we give because we have an obligation, obligation to, to give because this is what we're supposed to do as Christians to help the church and blah, blah, blah. But can you imagine if we gave this way and understand this way? That God, what you're really doing in my heart is not this charity that I'm giving to the church, but really what you're doing is more in my heart than what I'm doing for the church. Can you imagine if we gave that way? That God, what you're doing is you're giving me joy and a blessing because it's just good to give. Not calculated giving. And I know we calculate giving by giving to missions, and that's fine. But can you if we just came in and when the offering comes on Sunday morning, we just say, God, here's my check. Here's what I want to give this week. I just give it to you. Use it for what you're going to do. I want to give it out of grace because of what you've done for me. And we make it as an act of worship. Saying, God, do in my heart what needs to be done. I'm going to tell you, you're going to be blessed. I I'm not preaching prosperity that you're going to show up and there's going to be a Cadillac in your driveway after church. Okay, I'm not saying that. Maybe there will be, but I, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is this, that God will bless you. He'll give you joy. I want the joy and the grace that the Macedonians had. No amount of money could ever give you the joy that they had because their hearts were in the right place. And, and what was the last, here's the last thing that Paul said. They gave out a grace, they gave out a joy. But what was the last thing? Paul says they gave to the Lord. I like that. See, this keeps giving in check. It's all his anyways. He is the owner. We are the managers. They were willing to give up something of their own to bless others. Ultimately, when we give, we give to God. We, we give in the offering, we're giving to God. This allows to be used for the Lord. So how do we respond when we give to the Lord and we give out of grace? Because this was the attitude. Here's the, here's the check to make sure that I'm giving with the right motivation because this is how they gave out of grace and how they gave out of joy and how they, they gave to the Lord. How do we give with grace? First of all, give with no expectations. Don't expect anything in return. And then you won't be disappointed, all right? 
They gave without any expectation. They didn't expect to get given back. They didn't expect to be patted on the back. They gave with no expectations. They, they gave out of a grateful heart. And the reason why they could give out a grateful heart, it was in response for what Christ has done, had done for them, that he gave their life for them. And because they were so blessed by God's grace and Jesus' death for them and what he did for them on the cross, they had to respond by giving. It was this tangible act of saying, God, you've so great to me, and by us giving to you, it was a tangible act of God doing something powerful in their heart. And here was the result. It, here's the results. It, 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 it will give you joy. It pleases God. It blesses the family of God. And God is pleased when we give with those motives. Set aside what you are to give, Paul said. Each one of you must give as he has decided to give in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a hilarious giver. Here's, a, here's, here's what I want to see as we close out the service today. Listen, this whole message, either, either you're in a couple camps, either you just totally stumbled over the money thing because it's like, oh man, here's another, why did I come to church today? Because I could have slept in, okay? Why did I, and the money thing just tripped you up. Some of you are sitting here and saying, God, I, man, I just need you to do some radical work in my heart today. Some of you are here today and God needs to set you free from some of those attitudes towards money. Listen, listen, I know that there are horror stories out, out there about people not taking advantage of the flock and fleecing the flock, blah, blah, blah. I know that. They're, they're, they're out there. There's ministries out there that aren't genuine and they're fleecing the flock and they're making promises to people that they're not going to deliver on. But the word of God is the word of God. And within this body of believers and within the eldership of this church, we never make decisions lightly on how to handle the blessings that God has brought into this church. And we look to the Lord for the correct and best way to handle it. The reason is, it's because it's ultimately God's money. And I've got to stand before the Lord one day and be accountable what the Lord has given us. And you say, Pastor, I'm glad that's on your shoulders and not, not, not mine. Hold on, just one moment. And you also will stand accountable before the Lord on how you handled your finances because it was God's to begin with. And so this just isn't a church thing, an elder thing, a pastor thing on how he handles it. This is an individual thing. Paul said, each one of you decide in your heart what you are to do. And let me challenge you to allow God just to break your heart in this area. As we, as we go to the Lord today, I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. We're, we're, I, I just love this song. And, and what we're going to do is I want us just to dedicate our hearts to the Lord in closing today. And um, here, here's, what I, here's what I want us to do today. As we just begin to sing this song, as we begin to give our lives to the Lord, um, 
you just may be here today and just say, God, I, I just need to give you my life anew and afresh today. I, I just need to give you my heart anew and afresh today, Lord. I, I just I need to come back to you today. I've, I, I just want to give you my life and just tell you how thankful I am and just recognize your grace. That's where it's got to start. I don't, I don't want anyone to walk out of this place feeling guilty, okay? That, 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 that wasn't the point of this message. I want you to walk out of this place being freed. I want you to walk out of this place with joy and God's grace upon you. And so what we're going to do is, as we stand to worship the Lord, I'm going to just, if you want to come forward and just make a proclamation, not to me, not to anybody else, but to the Lord, saying, God, I just give you my life anew and afresh today. And I'm going to make a proclamation today that, that Lord, I want you to just take hold of everything in my life. And I'm, I just want to do it. I'm just going to, I'm going to make a bold stand today, Lord, just to come forward and just worship you and just thank you for what you've done for me. And just take my heart again, God. Renew me again. So, Lord, I pray that for every person. Let's stand. Let's stand. Lord, I, I pray this for every person today. God, that you would just take our hearts anew and afresh today. And as we sing about the cross and we sing about what you've done for us, God, take our hearts today and fill us with your grace. And, and, and let the grace that we receive be, be seen in the way we give. Let, let it translate. Let it... Let it go forth in, in the way we give. And so in this area of our life, God, may you just take control. We give our hearts to you now. I thank you for this body, Lord. I thank you for their lives. Just do the work that you need to do in our hearts today. In Jesus' name. Listen, as we begin to sing this song, I want to invite you to come forward and let's just worship him and let's just Let's just thank God for what he's done. Let's really listen to the words and sing his words of what Christ has done for us. Let him fill you with his grace today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.
everything that's the bottom line he gave everything for us that we could experience the riches of his glory and his might so God may he just take control of everything in our lives as we give to him Pastor Mike I'm going to ask if you close us in prayer today thank you for being so receptive to God's word I pray you just walk away with God's grace and his mercy today and um, I know some of you are hurting today I know some of you seeking for employment and jobs and, and I know it's, it's, it's a tough economy and, and, and God is just faithful. He can meet all our needs. We just trust him today. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Mark. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I'm not sure how a spirit-filled believer, someone who knows you and has you inside of them cannot be moved by seeing your church and uh, the verses that we worked through today just to see them give. I'm, I'm, I'm in awe at the fact that they were just the opposite of stingy um, they, they didn't need to know who was going to get the money, how they were going to get it, where it was going to go. They just gave because they saw needs and uh, they loved you. They truly desired to see your, your heart poured out upon people. And um, sometimes we ask really dumb questions and we have really dumb expectations and they're really just hindrances for us to give because you just call us to give and you're going to handle the rest. And our job is to give God and your job is to, is to uh, move in the hearts of those that we give to, to do what you wish to do with that money, and, or our times, or our talents, or whatever we're choosing to give, God. So, Lord, I just pray that you would, you would just remove our stinginess, that you would uh, take control of our hearts, and that 
um, we would be taken out of our selfishness and our self-absorption and, and everything that we think revolves around us. And as much as we want to say it doesn't, that we can, if we were honest with ourselves, we could look at little ways that we have, that we want to keep control, that we want to maintain our lives and have it in our own little world and um, that we kind of push you away and, and don't really let you have access to those parts of us. And there's lots of excuses we can come up with to not let you in there. But God, I just pray that you would move in our hearts individually and that you would be radical and that you would not you would not hold back that which we need to hear even if it's difficult because your spirit is tender and merciful at the same time as being bold and convicting and so um, lord just move in us show us your heart and give us the boldness and the courage to walk through it even if it means we give out of our lack even if it means we give out of our poverty even if it means that we give when we don't have something to give um, god that you would be honored in that choice that we wouldn't give foolishly, we wouldn't give um, to the point where where we become uh, somebody who now needs to be given to. But God, that you would just you would just give us a heart that wouldn't hold back, that wouldn't be stingy, that wouldn't try to store in our own personal storehouses uh, as if we're going to be needy someday, God. And just we got to trust you. That's what it comes down to. We just got to trust you that you know what you're talking about. When you say give, you really mean give. You really mean it. So, God, we have to ask ourselves, do we really want to do what you've asked us to do? And if not, how long can we come up with excuses that you're not going to accept? Move in us, Jesus. Help us to honor you and love you in this way. It's in your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. 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 Let's give the Lord praise. Good word. God's word is so good. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day. Go in God's grace. Amen. Left at an end.